Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another special edition of Work Human Radio. I'm your host, Mike Wood. As I mentioned during the last episode, we're going to be trying to do these as often as we can, hopefully daily. Um, But there's been a lot happening in the world with COVID-19, and I wanted to share with you some of the things that we're doing on Work Human. Um, On our blog every day, we are hosting a chat with one of our tremendous speakers um, and our CHRO, Steve Pemberton. We're basically trying to bring all the resources that we have to you to help. Today's guest is Natalie Kogan. She is a happiness expert, and she spoke at Work Human last year in Nashville. Um, Steve Pemberton was able to sit down with her virtually last Friday during International Happiness Day. So here's Steve's interview with Natalie. Hi, everybody. My name is Steve Pemberton, and I'm the Chief Human Resources Officer for Work Human. Well, it's the end of the week, and quite a week it's been uh, as each day passes, almost as each hour passes, uh, you know, some new change in, in our daily life. And I know that we're all wrestling with the realities of what that means for us both personally and professionally. But it shouldn't be lost on us that today, in the spirit of humanity moving forward, today is also the International Day of Happiness. And we're recognizing that today with a special guest. I am joined by the wonderful Natalie Colgan, who is the creator of The Happier Method uh, and Happier at Work. She's a best-selling author of Happier Now, and she's been a work human uh, speaker. Uh, so we're delighted to have her join us today. Hi, Natalie. Hi. I'm so grateful, Steve. I know we didn't plan this far in advance. I'm so grateful that I get to uh, be here on International Day of Happiness. and. Uh, on a Friday. Um, and I think at a moment in time where we all need to be reminded why happiness belongs even during challenging times. So thank you. I'm so grateful we get to chat today. So, so tell me what's going on in, in your life as uh, all of this has unfolded. You know, we're all dealing with these, with these major shifts and changes. What yeah. has been like for you? Yeah, so um, I'm sitting in my kitchen. This is actually where I record most of my videos. Uh, So this is my kitchen. And my 15-year-old daughter is two rooms away, sleeping soundly. Um, Our school's closed. So it's been a week since school closed. I live right outside of Boston. Um, She has been loving sleeping till 1130. Boy, don't we all wish that? I mean, it's great. But you know, it's funny. Teens are sleep deprived. So we've been home and we've been juggling. It's been, first week was pretty okay. Um, They don't have a curriculum. So it's just been like doing some stuff online that we hang out. My husband, Avi, is in the next room um, running his remote team. It's been, that's been a funny part because I get to hear a lot of like how he talks to his team. And then we all get together for dinner. This is actually where we all have dinner. And then we sort of just all make fun of each other because we now overhear each other. So that's been our dinner routine. Everyone sits down and me, our daughter, goes, Avi, on your conference calls, why do you have to be like, guys, guys, come on, you know? And so like, that's the funny thing. And then I start laughing and she goes, okay, mama, but you do like this weird thing. You always start with gratitude. And she was like, are you really grateful every time you start a video call? Like seriously? So I have to say, I mean, it's been a challenge like for everyone else. Um, You know, my parents live two miles that way. We have a 90, I have a 95 year old grandpa um, who had a stroke recently and he's, he recovered, but he's been in a rehab facility, which is getting converted to a coronavirus hospital. So we have to make some decisions. So like everyone else, there's a lot of challenge, but um, 
there's been some new moments as a family, which we've loved, which we've never had. Um, and so I'm, I'm really grateful for those. And I said to my daughter, yeah, yeah, I really am grateful. And so it's been, it's been this opportunity to find new ways to connect as a family, as we're all um, in this place. So it's been this juggle, some challenges, some fun moments. Well, you know, your, your work is focused on, on happiness, which is always important, mm. but it has a different context and yes. a different framework uh, now. So what, in the midst of all of this, um, do you think that happiness is getting redefined? I love this question, uh, Stephen. I'll just start by saying that I've been working really hard to redefine happiness for many years now, because for me, I had to redefine it for myself to be able to experience it. So as you may probably know, I came to this country as a refugee when I was a teenager and had a really tough beginning. And I always imagine happiness happens when everything's perfect. So my life was so imperfect. You know, we lived in refugee camps and the projects. We came here, we had no money. So I always thought once I can make everything in my life perfect, perfect job, perfect family, I look perfect and then I'll feel happy. So I, I chased that euphoria of trying to make everything perfect for, you know, as work human folks who attended my talk will know for 20 years. And um, it led me to a really dark place because I completely burnt out and I was never able to experience euphoria because guess what? Life is never perfect, no matter how hard you try. And so for me, I learned this lesson uh, several years ago when I was in a really dark place myself. And I redefine happiness as not a state of being that you get to achieve your way into once you make everything perfect, but happiness as a skill that you can practice. Mm -hmm. And you can practice at any time. When things are as challenging as they are now, everything is imperfect. We have to work harder. We have to practice more. And gratitude, as I'm sure we'll talk about, is one of the ways to practice. So I think happiness is getting redefined, and I welcome that. And I've been talking a lot to our community about the fact that happiness is not about making things perfect so you can enjoy them. Happiness is a skill you practice to help you have the fuel to get through challenging times. And so I love an opportunity to talk to you about this because I think um, so many of us, like I was, are in this trap where happiness is all about being positive all the time and smiling all the time. Yeah. And that's just not how we are as human beings and life has too many challenges. So I love having an opportunity to share that because I think if we can redefine it more as a skill we practice, um, not about being positive all the time, but also learning how to be compassionate with ourselves and each other when things are not going well, then we have much more access to feeling moments of calm and ease and joy. Yeah. There, there are times where we almost view happiness as something that is in this land of naivete yeah. and avoidance. Yes. Um, yes. Kind of happy-go-lucky as a distraction, actually. And in, in some ways, you're seeing some parts of society, that kind of response mm -hmm. that uh, I, I still want to go to the beach and I want to go to the bar because those right. are things Denial. I'm happy. Yeah. Um, and so there's almost this kind of recalibration that has to happen, you know, as, as a result. But what I, what I hear you saying is that happiness is, is a skill. And in fact, the two things I would argue that we're, all of a sudden have been thrust upon us, mm -hmm. which is the need to be agile yeah. and to be resilient. 
you know, wed those two worlds for us because we might see happiness, agility, and resilience as different worlds, but you're, you're saying that they're actually connected. Absolutely. And I love what you said about that some people see happiness as denial. So I just want to, you know, bring in um, a little bit of my own story around this. So I come from Russia. I'm a Russian Jewish immigrant. You know, there's a joke that Russians are good at three things, suffering, making other people suffer and complaining about suffering. Okay. And it's only funny if you don't know a lot of Russian families. Like I grew up with a very loving family, but suffering was almost like worshipped because anything good or meaningful, you have to suffer. So the idea of happiness or joy, it was always like, how can that be a worthwhile goal? And so I think it's really important to acknowledge that often we see happiness as an escape, right? Like we have real life and then, oh, on the weekend, I'll relax and feel good or my life's a mess, but I'll go to the beach and feel happy. And so I think um, it's really important to just acknowledge that. But in terms of happiness and resilience, one of the um, really essential things to recognize is that um, emotional health and happiness, when we practice them in the present moment, they actually give us the resilience to get through challenges, right? So as um, many folks probably know, research shows that um, when you practice happiness, when you practice your emotional health, when you cultivate your well-being, you are more productive, you are more creative, you're actually better at helping others, you are um, more likely to help your colleagues, you um, volunteer more time. And I mention that because those are all the things we need to be doing right now, but we can't be doing them if we are um, feeling awful, if we are stuck in what I call the valley of suffering. And so um, I think that now we have this even greater motivation to practice these emotional health skills because they are at the core of our resilience. And the other thing I want to mention just to bring happiness and resilience together and agility is just like we have a physical immune system, we have an emotional immune system. Sometimes it's referred to as a psychological immune system. And that's a source of our inner resilience. In fact, most of us overestimate when something bad happens, how long we'll feel bad and how difficult it'll be. We have inner resilience as human beings. But for us to tap into that, for us to tap into that ability to change and get through things, we need to learn the skill of first acknowledging how we feel. And um, for so much of my life, and I know I work with so many people and companies, and this is true for so many, we almost see like uh, positive emotions and negative emotions. And we spend our life trying to feel more of the positive and, oh, I can't feel the negative because then I'll feel stuck and I'll never feel good. Well, the thing is, if we allow ourselves to acknowledge all of our emotions, the good ones and the challenging ones, our emotional immune system gives us the opportunity to be resilient, to get through them. But I use this example a lot because we're also in this time where our immune systems have to be strong. So imagine if your body gets a germ. Let's not talk about viruses. Let's just talk about your body has a germ come in. What is the first thing your physical immune system does? It recognizes that the germ is there. It has to acknowledge, oh, something challenging is going on. And then it activates all these parts of your body to help you get through it. Your emotional immune system functions the same way, but first we have to acknowledge that, wow, I feel sad, or I'm worried, or um, I'm really stressed out because I'm juggling so much. When we do that, when we stop trying to hide from these negative emotions, we actually give ourselves the resilience and the agility and the ability to get through challenge. And so that's another um, way that I would love to invite folks to redefine happiness, not about feeling positive all the time, 
but about learning how to acknowledge and embrace all of our different feelings as human beings, because that is what allows us to tap into that resilience. Yeah, there's, um, you know, there's image. Um, I remember reading as a young boy, Atlas kind of holding up the world. Uh, and I think a lot uh, uh, of us are feeling that way, you know, holding up our families. Uh, you share, you know, the, all of a sudden the, 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 the shift and change in even in your own family. And now you're seeing, you know, families, you know, together, but there's a, you know, certainly a lot of sobering realities out there. And it's not an overstatement to say that you're dealing with a lot of life and death situations. Absolutely. Out of this is going to come a new language um, already. And you're seeing some of that already, you know, flat, Mm -hmm. for example. Uh, One of them, though, is uh, social distancing. Um, and um, so we're going to be talking about that for, for, for quite some time. But social connection is such uh, an important element of happiness. A lot of the assessments of how quickly this spread in Italy was because of the intimate nature of the culture in Italy, yes. uh, that um, there's human contact and that contributed to, you know, the acceleration. Uh, so now you have the nature of cultures connecting mm-hmm. uh, sometimes physically and you know clearly the the danger that that created how do you now in a world of social distancing find those social connections uh, and, and when you have to keep six feet apart for yes no i love i it's such a great question steve and the first thing i just want to say just i i actually like teared up a little when you said that about Italy because so I live two miles away as I mentioned for my parents right there and we grew up really close our family my grandparents have always lived around us um and one of the most challenging things has been to like say to my parents don't come over because you know they're um 70 they're very vibrant very active but I've had to say like don't come over and they said oh how about you know my daughter goes there all the time that's why we live so close and I, one of the hardest thing has been to say, no, we have to stay apart. And so it's actually like personally hits really home because we are this very close, like we FaceTimed my parents last night and it felt absurd because they're right there. We could just go over. So I really, I think that's challenging for many people. But at the same time, you know, um, Dr. Nicholas Christakis, who is a friend of mine, friend of the company, he's a really uh, well-known researcher. He has a, um, he's done an amazing research around how social networks spread behaviors. Great TED Talk by him that you can learn about how happiness spreads. So happiness actually spreads. Um, if your friends are happier, you're 25% likely, more likely to be happier. So he's done really phenomenal research. He wrote something that really stuck with me yesterday on Twitter. He said, we shouldn't be talking about social distancing. We should be talking about physical distancing and social connection. And that really helped my frame. And so I think that more than ever, we're now in a place where we have to find, we have to be more intentional about creating those social connections because we can't run into each other in an office. I can't just hug my parents because they're over for Friday night dinner. We have to be more intentional. And I think it is so important to be talking about this. And so what I've been doing every day, I've been saying this to my my 15-year-old daughter. Every morning I say, well, morning, by noon when she's up. Let's just just be accurate, okay? So every afternoon um, when she has breakfast and I have lunch, we do that together. I've been saying, can you think of three friends you want to check in with today? And it's interesting because you think that teenagers don't need the reminders, but they do because 
they're used to bumping into each other in school and now they're not. And so usually like their conversations continue on Instagram or Snapchat or, or text and now they don't have the start. And so I think it's so important that we, um, I talk a lot, so intentional kindness is one of the five skills that I teach. And the reason the word intentional is so important is because it is really easy to be busy. Um, right now it's really easy to just be overwhelmed and not make that intentional effort to reach out. Um, I think also for many people, um, it may seem weird to like check in with a colleague via text when we're used to seeing each other in person. And so more than ever, we have to practice intentional kindness. And I've said this before we were in this crisis and I try to do this every day. I try to schedule on my phone, I put it as a reminder, a moment of intentional kindness. And when the reminder comes up, I just think, what is something kind that I can do right now? Most often, Steve, most often, it's checking in, texting a friend, texting my parents. I think now we have to elevate that. So not just text, you know, one of the most essential things about human contact, we need um, visual, we need to be able to see each other, we need to be able to hear each other, we need to be able to, you know, you release um, positive uh, hormones, serotonin, when you hug, we can't hug. So we have to do crazy things like call each other. And I say this, and I know uh, my colleague Debbie is watching, so I can't continue without giving her credit. When we started working together two years ago, she's in New York, so it's all digital. Um, I was a person who hates the phone. Like, that was my thing. That was part of my identity. Hi, I'm Natalie Kogan, and I hate the phone. And I've run tech companies for a long time, so I always tech. And after about two months of working together, Debbie said, can I talk to you on the phone? And we get on the phone, she said, Listen, to get the best of me, to get the best of us, we need to talk. We need to collab. Like, I need to hear you. And she broke my phone, Cherry. I just have to, like, say this. And we've been, we talk on the phone a lot. And it is so important to recognize that we need to hear each other's voice. We need to see each other. And so I think this is an opportunity to elevate our practice of intentional kindness with each other because so much of it does not require physical contact or even proximity. Absolutely. And, you know, historically, we know that these kinds of pandemics have happened before they yes. so are not new. But what is new is the technology that we now have to communicate, to connect that prior generations when they were dealing uh, with these pandemics did not have. And last so night, actually, to just interrupt. So when we did the FaceTime with my parents last night, after, you know, we hung up, my daughter Mia was like, wait what would we do like 20 years ago if this happened? Would we like, I guess we, she was like, I guess we could go stand outside their house and just like go like this. But she had this moment of realization of like, wait, this is actually a benefit. Like this is actually helping us get through this. So I think it's so important to recognize, you know, whenever I speak, people always ask me like, a question about technology or social media. They say, oh, there's research. It shows it's depressing. What do you have to say? And I always say that technology is neither good nor bad. It is how we use it, right? So if we're spending all our time passively scrolling social media feeds, comparing our lives, yes, we will get sad, we'll get depressed. But if we're using it to intentionally connect, to practice intentional kindness, yes. what a gift that we have. Like what a gift you and I have to be able to do this right now. Absolutely. And, and for a lot of others to see it and share it. Yes. You know, you never know. Uh, what someone needs to hear at a very critical time uh, might be the one small thing 
uh, that can help you get through the, 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 the tough moment, the tough day, and get you to the next day and, and, and the next day. But we, we could keep going on for, for, for quite some time. But I did want to uh, leave with one, one, one question, which is, uh, what's the thing that you are most grateful for? I am most grateful for the fact that my trio, so the three musketeers we call them, my husband, my daughter, and I, um, we've been saying this almost every day to each other. I'm so grateful we all really like each other. Love is, of course, there's family love, but I'm really grateful that we like each other. And I know I mentioned this at the beginning, we found all these like new ways to connect, but I'm really grateful for that because... I feel so enriched and supported by them, but also we have a lot of fun. Like just as an example, we made, uh, my daughter loves to bake. So she made this cake last night and it was beautiful. And she put it on the dinner table. They were just going to cut it. And I said, uh-uh, let's sing like a happy first week of coronavirus social distancing to us. And you can go on my Instagram. It's in my story. We sang the song. And I'm really grateful to be stuck in a house with two people who I really like. And um, if I may use two, I know you said one. The other thing I'm incredibly grateful for, and um, uh, it's been something I've been sharing a lot. I'm so grateful to be able to share and help so many people right now. You know, it's, um, I always say whenever people ask me like, what, I'm really overwhelmed. What's like one thing that you do to get out of your head? the best way to get out of our heads is to focus on helping someone else. It truly is. It completely shifts our thinking. And I'm so grateful that the work, I almost feel like I said this the other day, like I feel like I've been preparing my whole life to be here and to offer these tips and practices to others because the more that we can learn together right now, how to practice our happiness as a skill, how to practice connection and kindness, the stronger we're going to be, the more resilient we can all be as we get through this. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for ending on, on that note. I, I do think that in our generation, uh, that is going to be one of the things that we take away perhaps more than anything else. Yes, uh, mankind and womankind will respond uh, and we will get through this. We will. But we're going to do so with a much greater appreciation for those things that do make us happy. Yes. Um, and to be extraordinarily grateful for uh, the ability to breathe air and to have connection, to have one another. Uh, I'm very hopeful that the traditional ways that we have coalesced sometimes, the labels that have for far too long divided a generation, yes. perhaps uh, those things will fall away and uh, a new world will be in front of us. So thank you for all that you do to contribute to that new world. You've been doing this for quite some time. And I know that you're going to be doing it for uh, a, a time that is much longer. And on a personal note, uh, certainly from our work, human family, to your, your family, we're thinking of you and uh, wishing uh, you, all of you, uh, the best. I so appreciate that, Steve. And I share your hope. I just want to end on that. I share your hope. So yeah. thank you. And right back at you, my work, human family. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. So thanks for joining me today and my special guest, Natalie Kogan. Uh, we hope that you'll continue to join us to connect, to reflect, to take away a nugget of wisdom. Certainly in, in this discussion that we just had with Natalie, I was struck by her ask that we change the term of social distancing, that we can be 
physically distant, but that does not mean that we should be socially disconnected. So for that and uh, other kernels of wisdom, you feel, please feel free to visit our resource center at workhuman.com where uh, you'll see this podcast, of course, and others uh, as well. But I want to leave you with uh, another uh, more personal uh, thought. I uh, am an avid reader and as a young boy, absolutely loved Lord of the Rings. And when the film adaptation of Lord of the Rings came out, I was particularly struck by this exchange between uh, Sam Wise um, and Frodo. And there's a very, very difficult time uh, that was unfolding. They're at wit's end, certainly scared and frightened about what was unfolding. But in that conversation, Sam uh, says to Frodo that we have to, that we have to push on uh, because he says, in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when it does, the sun will shine and we will all come out the clearer because these are the stories that, we're, that we were raised on that said something about who we are and who we ought to become. But he also said something else, too, that those in the stories that we read about uh, as young children, those people had opportunities to turn back, to retreat, but they didn't. And the reason they didn't was because they were still holding on to something, that there was some goodness in the land and it was worth fighting for. That's a powerful lesson for all of us that despite everything that's unfolding around us in the midst of all this uncertainty, that there's still some goodness in the land, there's still some gratitude in the land, and it is indeed worth fighting for. Thank you, Steve. You can find more of Steve's interviews daily on the Work Human blog. It's in the Resources Center of our website. I'll be turning these episodes into podcasts as soon as I can and pushing them out. Moreover, we want to hear from you. Let us know how you're doing on Twitter with the hashtag WorkHuman. Also, we want to highlight the good that is happening in the world. We'll be posting stories that we see on social media with the hashtag RecognizeTheGood. Until the next episode, you can find me on Twitter at MikeWoodTweets. Please take care of each other, and I'll see you online.